Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group, and that means that I'm responsible for investing activity, and we are a $1.5 billion a wealth management organization that right now uh, being chief investment officer of means a lot of work and a lot of responsibility. And it kind of means that all the time. And so uh, the fact of the matter is that when it doesn't feel that there's a lot of pressure around markets, um, that to a regular person, I suppose they might be thinking that it's a lighter load to carry. Uh, the fact of the matter is it's always a heavy burden. And, and I say that uh, for no other reason than it is reflective of the way we kind of view these things. Bad markets are actually uh, no different for us and our perspective than good markets. It just sort of changes what the pressure may be. When things are going really well, there's still a significant amount of pressure, but it's a different pressure. And, and frankly, it's the pressure of, well, what's next? It's that sort of lingering feeling of what could be looming. And in an environment like this, obviously, it, uh, it elevates certain amounts of anxiety. Um, but the fact of the matter is that if we're doing our job right, which I believe we're, we're constantly striving to do, you don't uh, get surprised by the fact that markets take a downturn. You have baked into the process by which you steward client capital um, and understanding that there will be periods like this. And if anyone is ever in charge of investing risk capital for clients and they have not factored in that that risk capital, when marked to market on a daily basis, has the potential for volatility like this, then that person should not be managing risk capital. It's pretty simple. But in this environment where we are now, uh, it's incumbent upon us, uh, particularly this podcast where we promise to share advice and provide our insights on particular topics that are near and dear to our heart, uh, the, there is a perspective, an understanding of the big picture of the economy that fits directly into what is happening with risk assets. And I can't think of a more timely um, opportunity to deliver this message than the environment in which you find ourselves right now. What I want to talk about today is the correlation between economic growth and stock market performance, why that is generally a very low correlation, and why it is right now necessarily and understandably a very high correlation, and why the current uncertainty uh, is very, very much driven around what's going to happen not only with the economic growth overall, but with a particular part of the economic growth. And so uh, without further ado, let me dive in a little bit. I use the analogy a lot. It had such a profound impact on the way I view emerging markets. Um, contrasting China and Mexico over about a 25-year, unbelievably pivotal, important in modern economic history. Let's call it 1993 to 2018 or so. Um, you can go further back, let's just say to 2013, take a 20-year period. And in that period of time, you had Mexico's stock market up something in the range of 18% per year, while their GDP growth was up barely 3% a year. 
So kind of muted economic growth and this really robust stock market performance out of the country of Mexico. Obviously from a very low area, from a very low starting point, though. And then in China, you had one of the most famous and transformative periods in history, and that was their GDP growth over that same 20-year period of basically about 10% net of inflation per year. You know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12% real GDP growth besides over the financial crisis, but on average through that whole period. Uh, high single digits, low double digits. The strongest GDP growth in history of any uh, economic region over that long a period of time. And, and coming out of the, the peasant economy that had existed in China under Mao Zedong and, and out of the utter debacle of the, the Mao revolution and what uh, communism had done to that country and their kind of flirtation with a sort of, if there is such a thing, a sort of uh, hybrid of statist capitalism um, that, that at least opened up China to new markets and, and powerfully transformed the way their economy functions. And, and there's all kinds of comments I could make about the economic and philosophical uh, contradiction embedded in it, uh, the incompleteness of it, um, the inadequacy of it, but not not the um, statistical dishonesty. I mean, statistically, this was an economy that was growing like crazy as they half-heartedly flirted with Western-style capitalism, and it did bring hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. Uh, and yet what happened in that 20-year period with this robust economic growth? Their stock market barely moved. It was, you know, on a per annum basis, very low single digit annual growth. So my long winded uh, setup here, you had a 20 year period of one country, Mexico, with brutally high stock market performance and very low GDP growth. And you had another country, China, with very high GDP growth and very low stock market performance. And, and so that is a very um, exaggerated illustration of a principle that actually applies in a number of other areas. And that is where uh, there is, uh, over sustained periods of time in all sorts of countries and domiciles and economies, uh, very low correlation between an economy and the macroeconomic conditions of, uh, the, between a stock market and the macroeconomic conditions of a particular country. Well, the reason for that is pretty simple. Stock prices ultimately have a significant amount of impact out of an economy because economic growth largely uh, will affect corporate profits. But the fact of the matter is stock prices really do functionally move off of corporate profits. When somebody owns a claim on future earnings stream, they're concerned with those future earnings. And there are just any number of things, particularly in certain pockets of time, in which various innovations and competitive strengths and cost synergies and, and just all sorts of human action could sway corporate profits favorably or unfavorably, regardless or irrespective of what a macroeconomic environment may be doing. So we do not expect that we can gather, especially in short-term periods of time, but even in longer periods, a great correlation between 
what's happening in a broad economy and what we would expect in stock market performance. And yet we have predicated so much of what we believe right now about the stock market around that very reality of an economic expansion being a rationale for a further stock market expansion. And I want to help square this circle as to why that's not as contradictory as it may sound with everything else that we've been saying. The fact of the matter is that 2009 to 2017 were a great illustration of exactly what I've been saying as far as that low correlation. You had sub 2% real GDP growth in the U.S. economy for eight or nine years post-economic crisis. Um, that was very abnormal and how muted the recovery was, particularly coming out of such a violent recession. And you had a very robust stock market uh, despite tepid GDP and the reason being the valuations that the stock market was at to start with. The lower those valuations, the higher the performance in the rebound. That, that accounts for a lot of the math of this sort of 300% stock market rally. Um, you also had an unprecedented period of monetary accommodation, and you did have death-defying abilities from U.S. corporate America uh, to, to expand profit, not only margins, but, but uh, profit levels themselves, top-line revenue growth, they create new markets, new products and services, new innovations uh, to attract foreign capital in a time where the rest of the world looks significantly less attractive. So the disconnection between uh, the United States stock market and the, as the GDP growth, which was really pretty sad, it was actually not counterintuitive. It was somewhat, uh, somewhat normal, even if it was a bit stretched. And, and so why is this not a contradiction in the way we're viewing things now? Because the fact of the matter was that coming into 2018, the cycle itself, the business cycle, the economic recovery was extended. It was stretched. We had been at it for a long time, and a lot of what drives an economic uh, recovery is expansion of credit, and that reliquification of our economy, the reflation had taken place. The corporate sector had relevered, has relevered. So to get a catalyst for even further economic growth that would add to earnings, but also add to earnings multiples, um, was going to have to come from somewhere. And that somewhere could always be an unexpected new market, unexpected new invention, new, new innovation. But aside from banking on a new technology to drive the market higher, um, on a macro level, one of the things that we forecasted was that the tax and regulatory reform of the Trump administration not only besides the mathematical support they were giving stock prices, you know, stocks are valued off earnings, after-tax earnings go up by default because there's lower taxes, but that there would be a sustainable addition to the real economy via corporate profits growth. That even apart from the impact of tax relief being priced in, that out of repatriation, out of lower uh, tax burden, um, out of a more competitive corporate framework, both with tax and uh, the regulatory burden, you would see uh, a renaissance of CapEx, of capital expenditures, of, of capital spending, of R&D investment, which is research and development. And, and all these things were mediums for enhancing productivity that had been on pause for a long time. And so unpausing these growth engines 
would provide two, three more innings in a positive business cycle. And, and that unpausing of those catalytic growth engines became a key thesis for stock market expansion because that economic expansion was leading to that greater productivity. And, and you saw business confidence, business sentiment, uh, small business optimism, various different metrics, different surveys, different uh, backward-looking compilations of data, indeed all pointing in the fourth quarter of 2017 and the first and second quarter of 2018 to unbelievable growth of confidence and sentiment in the business section of intentions or, uh, for capital expenditures, announced capital spending, that would lead to greater manufacturing, greater industrial production, greater durable goods, and that would therefore enhance productivity, which would negate the impact of higher wage cost because you'd have a lower unit labor cost, meaning even though you're paying more for wages, you're getting more productivity out of the wages, so your actual cost of productivity was not going higher. It was a, it was a counterinflationary economic thesis. It's one I still have, but it was the thesis that an expansion of the bull market was predicated upon. And so when uh, you look at the data, look at the charts of how business sentiment, business confidence had moved so much higher, something all of a sudden happened in October. And this is not to say it's a different theory than the Fed um, fears of the Fed's tightening. And it's not to say it's a different theory than the trade war it's actually all part of the same puzzle. The business confidence, the National Federation of Independent Business, the small business optimism, the business confidence index from OECD all point to a downtick all of a sudden out of nowhere. Not a small one, a pretty big one. The Q3 GDP numbers came out in October and we saw that the contribution to real GDP growth collapsed from business investment where it had been getting its big kicker, its big delta versus past quarters out of that space. And yes, I do put that at the foot of the trade war, as I talked about last week, and the foolhardiness of the trade war from a policy standpoint. But I guess what um, I would say is that the domino effect is such that if the trade war is going to lead to this uh, compression of confidence, this uh, heightened uncertainty that forces businesses to spend less, that puts on pause the whole thesis around expanding multiples, around expanding profits, profit margins, top-line revenue growth. And so uh, regardless of what one believes is the causation of the pause in business investment, unless it proves to be transitory, um, we can expect that the productivity we're trying to see enhanced will fail to surface. And, and that, in fact, the impact of rising wages would end up becoming contractionary. So uh, what we, I believe we see now is pure economic function of business investment, that we, if we get it, we get better productivity, and if we don't get it, we will fail to achieve that economic productivity and therefore, very likely, fail to see the profit growth necessary to expand the market. Um, a GDP growth of 2% in 2019 is going to be very different for the market than GDP growth of 3%. And 
And I don't normally believe that that's the case. I think the market did very well in some years when the market, when the rather the economy was only growing over a little over 1%. But if we're going to get that higher level, it'll be business investment, uh, capital expenditures, and therefore the trade war becomes the first variable to determine uh, whether or not the market's going to get that expansion of the late innings in the cycle it finds itself in. Uh, so I hope this has been a kind of useful walkthrough that you followed our kind of if this, then that line of thinking. Um, I know investors are watching, but I really think all economic stakeholders are watching because the ability to get to the next step of, uh, in this economic expansion is largely going to be dependent on policy decision-making that could create a virtuous cycle. Uh, you have a lot of stimulus in the economy right now from tax reform. And if you resurge that business optimism, you enhance the productivity, you generate greater GDP growth, and therefore another, a whole other round of greater corporate profits, which themselves spark off their own set of virtuous cycles. So that is our insights for the week, and our advice continues to be to monitor the capital expenditures in the economy, to formulate an investment thesis around. For now, we're staying moderately weighted and balanced and defensive, and yet by no means throwing in the towel. We believe a lot of these principles we're describing are knowable, known, and therefore will be actionable. But in the meantime, a lot of other factors are at play. We're praying for the cooler heads to prevail and wisdom to trump all else. So that is where things stand. Any questions at all on this week's advice and insights, do not hesitate to reach out to the Bonson Group. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. Get this in your feed. I think we're with uh, Apple, iTunes, obviously, and then Stitcher and Google Play and, and any number of other podcast players. But we also would ask you to send it to a friend, to review it, to give us a whole bunch of stars and, and help uh, build up that listener base, which uh, helps enhance some of the other things we can do with this podcast. Um, all right, I'm, I think I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for listening to this week's Advice and Insights. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced here and will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.